Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. Story Saturday. Once again, we're doing it on a Sunday. Because I felt like switching it up this week. Actually, I just got really busy. I've been busy. I'm always busy. Uh, The fun thing is, this week's story is not exactly particularly very long. It's actually fairly short compared to most of the stories in this collection. Oh, by the way, this came from Stories from the Great Challenge. 52 stories that I wrote over the course of a year, and this week is story 22, Hunting for Game. It's back away from science fiction and fantasy to mystery slash crime. Emphasis on crime on this one. Um, It's actually pretty short, uh, but for whatever reason, I just didn't get started on uh, recording it until, uh, frankly, this morning, because Yesterday, I was, on Saturday, I was just doing a lot and doing a, and doing a lot of actual writing <laughs> as opposed to, you know, recording stuff. And by the time I got done with that and finished and took t- t- care of some stuff with the kids, I was like, oh, smokes, it's uh, great. If you hear that in the background, um, I'm actually dog sitting my ex's little shih tzu. Uh, all the kids are here this week, and <laughs> she and my bigger puppy occasionally like to, to party. Um, and Shih Tzus like to bark, so if that's what you heard in the background there, I'm sure. Anyway, but the point is, um, yeah, I just didn't even get to it, uh, but I got to, got to record in the, uh, short story this morning. <sighs> Dogs. And so here it is for you. Uh, again, crime story that I wrote, uh, geez, year and a half to almost two years ago now, uh, as part of that challenge. Uh, I hope you like it. I read it. So of course it's awesome. And I'll talk to you on the flip side. George opened up the trunk of his blue Ford Focus and hefted out a brown canvas duffel bag. He shifted his torso, slinging the duffel over his left shoulder and grunted softly at the weight of the bag's contents. He'd thrown that shoulder out about five years ago while weightlifting, and sometimes he had flare-ups from it. He hadn't had one in a while until just this moment. And wasn't that just great? George gritted his teeth and slammed the trunk shut, then hit the key fob to lock the car and turned away. He was parked off of a two-lane country road that had departed from the main highway three miles back the way he'd come. The road had twisted and turned through rolling hills covered with less green forest until he'd reached this spot, and he'd pulled off behind a billboard sign for a roadhouse bar and grill ten miles further on. Stepping out from behind the billboard, he glanced left and right. Nobody was around. That was good. He'd be out in his stand for hours, probably. It was his secret place, and he didn't want anyone to find out where it was, or even know that he was here. That could be bad and mess up his afternoon. And more. He also had three grand in cash stashed in the cardboard box that had ridden in the trunk with the duffel. Better not to risk losing that if someone broke into the car or stole it. Hence, the concealed parking job. 
He had been out of the car's air conditioning for less than a minute, but already sweat was beginning to trickle down his back from the midsummer heat and the humidity that made the air feel thick and smell of moisture. Overhead, puffy white clouds moved briskly across the sky from west to east in the direction he had to walk, and he watched one go out of sight behind the trees atop the hill he needed to climb. Then he adjusted the duffel and hurried across the other side of the road and beneath the forest canopy beyond. Immediately it became more dim, but it didn't cool at all. If possible, it seemed to warm up, actually. George slowed as soon as he was out of sight of the road and began ascending the hill, being careful to avoid trip hazards as he scanned the tree trunks for signs that he had left earlier. Where was... Ah, there, carved into the trunk thirty feet off to the left, a heart with the letters G plus H inside. He strode over and laid his hand atop the rough bark, trailing his fingers around the carving he had made a week ago. They traced the heart, then brushed past his initial to the H, and there they stopped. As it always did when he thought about Heather, his heart wrenched in his chest and he found himself gasping, suddenly breathless. The image came to him of her, thirteen years old with her brown hair tied into pigtails, dressed in a yellow sundress and beaming an ear-to-ear -ear smile on the day he'd taken her to see that movie she'd been asking him about for weeks. Why couldn't he remember its name now? It had been so important to her, and it had only been two years ago. Why? Then he flashed to the last time he'd seen her face, how different it had looked from that happy day, and his gasping breathing became a sob that he had to work to contain. He leaned forward and pressed his forehead against the tree trunk and forced his emotions down. He drew in a long, deep breath, held it, and counted to ten. Then he pushed himself back upright, and wiping his nose with the back of his right hand, he turned back up slope and resumed his trek. The hill wasn't particularly steep, but it was a long ascent, and by the time he reached the crest, George was breathing heavily and sweating up a storm. But it wasn't far now, so he pressed on down the backside. He reached his hide five minutes later. It had taken him weeks to find this one perfect place, and then more time to get it built. Fifteen feet up the trunk of a towering sycamore, balanced in the gap between the trunk and a branching limb, the hide was a wooden platform large enough for George to lie prone comfortably. He'd driven planks into the tree trunk to act as ladder rungs, and he took a moment to resituate the duffel over both of his shoulders like a pack. Then he boosted himself up into the tree. Once he was up, George dropped the duffel with a sigh of relief and rolled his shoulders. He was getting too old for this. But he had to do it for Heather's sake, if nothing else. She'd begun to come with him on his hunting trips and had started to appreciate them before, again, he flashed the last time he had seen her, on the flat stainless steel covered by a blue sheet that the orderly had pulled back so he could see her face, bruised, cut, battered, staring blankly into the bright lights of the ceiling, but not seeing them, not seeing anything. George flopped down onto the wood that he had shaped and sanded and laid into place here. His rump hit the platform and he leaned forward, elbows on his knees, as he pressed his hands to his eyes, willing himself not to see. But still, the image of his little girl would not go away. He tried to think of another time, a happier one, but it wouldn't come. In his mind's eye, his daughter's dead, lifeless eyes turned toward him, and he heard her voice in his head. Why didn't you protect me, Daddy? George jerked upright, and he heard himself scream for a second before he forced himself back to silence. Don't scare away the game, though that was extremely unlikely here, in this place. For this game. George drew a deep breath, then turned and unzipped the duffel bag. Along with his other gear, he had a gallon jug of water in the bag. He pulled it out and drank deeply. The water had warmed since he took it out of his refrigerator two hours earlier, but even still it was cool compared with the heat of the day. The coolness spread down his throat and into his belly, and he let out a long sigh as he set the jug down. Through a gap in the trees ahead of him, a glint of light drew his attention, and he leaned forward again, squinting. The lake, below and a few hundred yards away from his position, was rippling with waves, and the sunlight glinted at intervals off of it. 
Smiling thinly, George nodded to himself, then got to work with the rest of his gear. The rifle was bolt-action, chambered in 308 Remington with a telescopic sight. He'd taken lots of game with it over the years. Lord willing, today would yield even greater results. He pulled a box of ammo and a bipod mount out of the bag, then set the screwing the mount into the lug at the bottom of the rifle barrel. As he worked, his mind wandered back, but not to the morgue and Heather. Three months later, and sitting down with the detectives and the prosecutor assigned to the case, they'd caught the guy, had him dead to rights. The prosecutor would seek the death penalty, but probably he'd end up with life without parole, so at least he wouldn't be able to kidnap, rape, and murder any other little girls. The earlier smile faded into a scowl as George remembered going into the courthouse for the pretrial hearings, watching as the defense attorney submitted a motion to dismiss, and then stunned disbelief when the judge granted it, with prejudice. George's scowl became a grimace as he set the rifle down, the bipod holding the barrel up off the floor now, and opened up the ammo box. He loaded four rounds into the ammo receiver, then jammed the bolt home, chambering around. He checked the safety on, then arranged himself into a prone position, rifle butt snug into his right shoulder. He recalled spending a week in jail, contempt of court from the protest he shouted when the judge dismissed the case, seeing the prosecutor after he got out and learning the perp was the nephew of a state senator or something. He flipped off the dust covers of his sights and pressed his cheek against the stock. Distant tree trunks and underbrush leapt into view in his eye, slightly blurry. He adjusted the focus ever so slightly, then panned the rifle left and right on the bipod, testing its function. Smooth and easy. He'd pressed the prosecutors to try again, maybe in a different venue, a different judge, but dismissing with prejudice meant the case could never be pressed again, period. He walked out of the prosecutor's office, feeling his entire world crumble apart. First Jane, four years earlier, now Heather. Both had been murdered, his wife by cancer, and his girl. George blinked away tears and focused on the sights as he shifted his aim point toward the break in the trees. There could be no justice for Jane, but there should have been for Heather, and that had been stolen from her and from him. Through the sight, he saw the lake again. The ripples running across its surface were stronger, originating from just to the left of his field of view. Shifting his aim slightly, he saw the boat whose wake had been creating the ripples. It had a white hull and a blue bimini above its conning station. It was sleek and lacked any superstructure, a speedboat. And sure enough, it was pulling a bikini-clad woman behind it on water skis. George wanted to smile at the sight, but he couldn't bring himself to. He shifted further to the left, and the lake's shore sprang into view. Large homes, mansions practically, lined the water's edge. Some were sited in brick, some in more conventional planks, but all had the look of places that had been built in the last ten years or so. Each had a dock and was separated from its neighbor by a fence that ran to the waterline. A few had swimming pools in their yards above the lake and wasn't that silly. All had meticulously pruned landscaping and lawn furniture for entertaining. The house halfway down the lake's edge toward him had another boat just tying off to the dock. A dark-haired man in a white shirt and tan shorts was just standing from cleaning off the boat's lines. The sun reflected off the lenses of his sunglasses quickly as he turned back to the boat and reached out to help his other two passengers out onto the dock. There was a woman, somewhat plump but tall, almost as tall as the man, in a white and pink sundress, and a girl, though young woman would be better term for the growing hips that were plainly visible from the one-piece swimsuit she was wearing. She had brown hair like her mother and stopped to slip on Daisy Dukes before stepping off the boat. The trio walked up the dock to a paved patio area a few yards up from the lake's edge to where a glass-topped patio table surrounded by four white-slated chairs waited for them. The man and the young lady sat down and the woman hurried up to the house. She returned a few minutes later, carrying a tray and a pitcher filled with a yellowish fluid, lemonade, and three glasses. Her face was in view now that she was returning, and despite her sunglasses, George recognized her with ease. Judge Madeline Rosenberg. 
the woman who had dismissed the case and thrown him in jail, the woman who had denied Heather her justice. George tracked her as she walked back to the table, keeping his sighting reticle on her the whole way, and licked his lips. He had been watching her and her family for months, learning her patterns, searching for an opening. It hadn't been particularly hard to learn about this lake house, when they tended to come here, and for how long. The judge didn't have any social media accounts, but her sister did. And so did her daughter. Between the multitude of postings and check-ins those two had sent out to anyone with the desire and wherewithal to look, he knew where to go. That just left finding the right place from which to hunt his game. That really had been the long pole. A place that was within effective range of his rifle, and within his ability to get a hit, and was secluded enough that he could be assured of being able to make an escape. Though truth be told, he didn't really care all that much about getting away. If he got caught, so be it, but it would be better to make a clean getaway. He finally found the sycamore, and the gap in the trees that offered precisely the right angle. Then it was just a matter of waiting for Labor Day on the lake. He kept tabs on the good judge in the interim, and went to the range frequently to get his marksmanship up to the best it could be. Now it was time. The game was in the open, and he had his shot. Justice for Heather. Finally. The judge poured cups for her husband and daughter, then sat down in a chair, facing George's position to her husband's right and opposite her daughter. George could see about two-thirds of the judge's head over her daughter's. No problem making that shot. Flicking the safety off, he lingered there, with his reticle centered on the judge's face. The temptation to shoot was so strong he almost did it. But that would be revenge, not justice. George had thought it through thoroughly and could not escape that fact. Killing the judge would be satisfying, deeply satisfying, but it would not be justice. Justice would be to inflict the wounds on her that she had inflicted on him and leave her without recourse just as she had left him. He said a quick prayer, asking God to explain what he was doing to Heather. Then he shifted the reticle from the judge to the back of the daughter's head. He took a long, slow breath, held it, and squeezed the trigger. Well, like I said, it's a crime story. Crime, crime, crimey, crime, crime. And a little darker. Um... I guess the real question is, what would you do if you were in George's situation? Um, probably not. The, his answer is probably not the best, but it's certainly an understandable answer. Um, and if things continue to degenerate societally as they have been, who knows, might see people doing that. You know, not the preferred way to do things. Hopefully we don't get that way. But in the meantime, kind of a neat story, I thought. Um, if you like that story, there's 51 others in stores from The Great Challenge, which you can get straight from me at michaelkingswood.com slash store. You can also go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Apple TV, App, Apple Books, uh, every other place where you can find ebooks and print books as well online. Um, but it's better to go straight to me because I get more profit that way and we have a direct one relationship. So no middleman can cut us out for whatever reason. Um... Yeah, do that. I'm going to cut this one short because it's already later in the day than I wanted to be doing this. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Uh, go by, sign up for my mailing list, uh, michaelkingswood.com. Become a member of the site. Send a couple bucks a month to help things out. That'd be great. And uh, we'll go from there. We're going to talk to you next week with the next story Saturday, which we're actually going to do on a Saturday. Knock on wood. Uh, and this one is Back to Science Fiction. It's a story called Caledonia. If memory serves, this is about 
the misadventures of some people who are colonizers on an alien world. That'll be amusing for you. Also, um, <clears throat> this week, we're going to recommence the streams, the deep dive streams that I was doing for a while and then stopped for like a month. Um, and I'll talk about all that goes on with that when we do it tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, we plan to start it up again. Um, it's July 4th, first, first full week of the month, might as well. Um, all right, now I'm thinking 2.30 p.m. like we used to do before and that specific time. So I'll see you there, hopefully. Um, but hey, if I don't see you, if you're in the States, happy Independence Day. If you're not, wish us happy Independence Day. <laughs> and I'll see you next Saturday. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.